Uh, this morning, for our preacher, we do have a special guest this morning. Uh, this is Pramend Choi. He is from Fiji, um, part of the ministry that we partner with there and support there. Uh, he's in the States. He was here for the Shepherds Conference out in California and then has been traveling around the States visiting various partners uh, and is near the end of his travels and is, and is here this morning. So um, he's going to bring, uh, come forward and, and bring uh, for us from God's Word this morning. So let's welcome him and uh, prepare to hear from him this morning. Good morning. In Fiji, we have a signature greeting called Bula. And you could say that too. It just means hello. <laughs> well, I'm so delighted and thankful to the Lord for the opportunity he has given to me to be with you this morning to open God's word. Very thankful for each one of you. We have been praying for you from the other side of the world because God in his kindness has allowed that this church could partner with the work in the Fiji Islands and beyond. And later today, I will be in the Sunday School Hour sharing with you what the Lord is doing in that part of the world. But for now, if you can, pick up God's Word and open to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1 is where we are going to be. In November of 2015, as part of our college's ongoing equipping ministry, I had this opportunity to go to Fiji's third largest island, which is called the Tavuni Island. It's also called the Garden Island of Fiji. We, had, we have two graduates who are serving down there, and they arranged for me to come and do a preacher's workshop. You see, in Fiji, there is no shortage of churches. In Fiji, on a given Sunday morning, there is no shortage of preaching. But what comes out and does not come out from the pulpit is another story. So when I even came to this place, so many folks were thankful. Now, these folks were from different denominations. And yet, they were thankful. They said, no one has ever come to provide any training to us. And here we are, saving God. As I said, this was my first time to this island. This island had no electricity. So I was even wondering how I'm going to do this workshop with all of the equipments that I've taken with me. But they said, we have a generator and we will set that up for you. But what caught my attention the most was... When I entered the hall of the meeting, it was about this size. And um, I walked down the aisle and I came to the pulpit to set up my Bible and my laptop. And next to the pulpit was a tombstone. And I thought, this is strange. I have never been in a setting like this. And so I became inquisitive and as I started to read the inscription, I saw this name, Reverend William Cross, from London Missionary Bible Society, 1830s. 
And I began to understand why the tombstone was there. This man boarded the ship, answered the call of the Great Commission, and came down to the Fiji Islands with the gospel. And when William Cross was boarding that ship to Fiji, he knew very well this was a one-way ticket. Because if you knew anything about the islands, the lifestyle over there was very cannibalistic. The islanders were known for their savagery. So this was a dangerous mission on this man this man came to. And yet, historians tell us that he died a natural death. He didn't get killed. Struck with fever and, and lack of medical attention, there was every, every opportunity for him to go to Sydney. But as he was, uh, as his medical condition had further complications, there, there were complications of cholera, and typhus fever. And so he's very sick now. But we are told that his love for the heathen Fijians was stronger in him than love of life itself. And so he put off his voyage to go to Sydney. Weary with removal, exhausted by disease, he laid down his master's commission and slept in Jesus. And his, his remains were right next to where I was going to do the workshop from in this, in this century. His remains are still there, as I said. At first, they, uh, according to the Fijian, in, in Fijian fashion, they made a neatly constructed house. Later, they replaced that with a church meeting hall. A mission that mattered to God was successfully carried out. Gospel was preached, and historians tell us that some 79,000 Fijians turned from their cannibalistic way of life to Christ. What remarkable power of the gospel! Today we will look at a story where a prophet was given a similar commission to go on a mission. What did he do? Let's read to find it out. Jonah chapter 1 will be in the first six verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord heard a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down, and fallen sound asleep. 
So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Lord, as we have read your word, and now for the next few minutes, Lord, help our minds and help our heart that with undivided attention, we might be able to hear you speak to us this morning as you spoke to Jonah then. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you just heard this story. Now this is not a new story to your ears. The story of Jonah is one of those stories from the Bible that has become the most popular of all. The whale, Jonah in the belly's whale for three days. This is how this this is how famous this story has become. But even though this is one of the best-known stories in the Bible, dear friends, the story of Jonah has been misunderstood. There is much more to it than just a children's, a good children's Sunday school story. Jonah's journey is of a different nature altogether. We see here the prophet himself appears to have no difficulties at all swallowed and then spat out by a great fish in chapter 2. Imagine a Fiji island adventure trip and you are given three expedition options. Option number one, one night in whale's belly for $1,000. Option number two, two nights in the whale's belly for $500. And the third night for free. Jonah gets all three nights for free. That's a pretty good deal here for Jonah. But not really. This is not a good deal. This is not good stuff here that's happening. From the beginning of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 4, this character before us, Jonah, this particular prophet, Jonah, has huge problems with his God. He is in an awkward position with endless debate. And that happens in face of God's word. And it is all fired by his self-righteousness and unbelief. All of this captured within 48 verses. Can today you and I be like Jonah? God says something for you to do and you turn your back and you go the other way. Because that's exactly what Jonah does. You know, as you read in the, in the Old Testament, 
When God says to a particular prophet, I want you to go, what do you read next? The prophet goes. Yes, sometimes, like Moses, there will be the delay, the excuse, but the prophet still ends up going. Jonah, we are told, is the only prophet who without carrying out God's commission, walks away. This pulpit, where I am today, is occupied every Sunday. And God, through His servant, speaks to you. What do you do? What God tells you. Thank God is still speaking today. So I want to encourage you and also warn you that may we, may we not develop an attitude like Jonah. May I encourage you through this text that we have a great God who in his patience, like we see with how he pursues Jonah, also pursues you and me. And so here is a resolve. He's a resolve not to be like Jonah, because we can. And the resolve is to choose God's interest over yours. Choose today God's interest over yours so that you can become a modern missionary. We are all missionaries. We all have our mission fields. Sometimes our mission field is right inside our home. Other times it is across the ocean. There are three things we will quickly look at today with the time we have in order to become a model missionary. It's important to follow God's directives. And those who don't follow God's directives must know that defying God has consequences. And yet when all is said and done, we still find the text, the kind of God you and I worship is this God will not let go. He pursues Jonah. He pursues his defiant prophet without saying, it's time to replace him and send someone else to Nineveh. And that shows the heart and the character of God when we run from him. He doesn't let us lose. So first thing, if you're writing, this is my first point. Or you just can listen. Following God's directives is not optional. When God tells you something to do, dear friends, brothers and sisters, you don't have an option. And that is something we find in verses 1 to 3. We, we find, and we must pay attention because it's God who speaks. And so verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came 
to Jonah. The source of the commission here is none other than God. The story gets off to a fast start over here. The word of Yahweh came. And this statement over here, this phrase over here, the Lord of the word came. This is one of the blessed and thrilling truths of the ages. And so we can say to this man Jonah, living sometime, somewhere, God spoke to him. To this man, God made known his will and holy purpose. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And it comes this very moment to you and to me. The first scene introduces the characters here that we find. The Lord, Jonah, the people of Nineveh, the sailors. It's not only fourfold characters that we notice, but also fourfold locations that we see over here. Nineveh, Tashish, Chopa, and the ship. Why such detailed information? Because these detailed information sets the tension of the story. And what is the tension of the story? The tension of the story is what will happen to Jonah, who is now running away from God, and what will happen to the people of Assyria? That's the tension of the story. Well, we also are introduced to the recipient of this commission. It's none other than Jonah. Jonah is the son of Amittai. When we read in 2 Kings 14, 25, this is what we find out about Jonah. Jonah is a good prophet. So, don't put him in a category of a villain very quickly. Or is a bad prophet very quickly. What we need to know is that when God of all the prophets picked Jonah, it was a choice. He was a choice prophet. God had not made a mistake. You might think that way. I wish God would have sent someone else and not Jonah. And that other prophet would have carried out a commission. As if Jonah was unfit for this job. Not at all. 2 Kings 14.25 tells us that when Jonah made a prophecy, and I would like to read that to you, 2 Kings 45, God restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gethafer. And so, what this prophet prophesied came true. God's choice of him and no other proves God's approval of him. So here is the prophet. We're introduced to him as Jonah, the son of Amittai. Where was he to go? What was his mission field? His mission field was Nineveh. It, it, was, it was probably 2,000 miles from where he was. It is first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis chapter 10, 11, verses 11 and 12. as a great city. Same thing over here. Look at verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh. Where? The great city. Now, it's helpful to do also a little bit of background check on the Assyrians to understand why does Jonah defy the commission. Well, passages like Zephaniah, chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, and passages like Nahum, chapter 2 and chapter 3, tell us quite a whole deal about this people group. 
I'll just quote two things, one coming from Prophet Zephaniah who said this, no one will grieve when Nineveh falls, says the prophets. Prophet Nahum says, there is no relief for your breakdown. Your wound is incurable. All who hear news of you clap their hands over you. So this is a despised group of people. The prophets have spoken about them. And yet God says to Jonah, I want you to go and preach a message of repentance to them. And Jonah, you better do this quickly because according to chapter 3, verse 4, they have a timeline. They only have 40 days to sort themselves out with me. Their wickedness have come before me. And they must repent. And if they repent, I will show mercy. You know, when we look at this commission, was it a very complex rocket science? You know how simple the commission is? Three letters. Cry. Is that hard to hear, to understand, to define? No. It's not even a long word. That's all God asks of Jonah. How simple that is. I mean, we will define that as to go and preach a message of repentance to them. Now, in order for him to cry, if you look at the text, he has to go. Because he has to be somewhere. In order for him to be somewhere, he has to get up from where he is, leave his present vocation, and go. So that's where we see, arise, go, and cry. As I was looking at that, it does remind me of our Lord Jesus Christ's words to his disciples. He had said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, If any of you wishes to come after me, just like this threefold statement here, that is also. What's the first one? You would know. Deny yourself. What's the second one? Take up whose cross? Your own cross. And then what's the last one? Follow me. And I, and I, and I look and compare both side by side and and. Even Matthew 16, 24, I would say, is a very straightforward, simple thing that the Lord asks us to do. And you know what he asks us to do? He says, follow me. That's Christianity. You go where he wants you to go, follow me. You see where he's going, join him, follow me. You do what he wants you to do, what he says you should do, follow me. That's what following means. And the breakdown would happen if a person from the get-go gets it wrong, doesn't deny himself. A person who doesn't deny himself will never be able to follow his Savior well. Denying himself, taking up your cross, all in order that you can follow him
And my friends, we struggle with that. I struggle with that. You struggle with Apostle Peter struggled with that. You think of the Apostle Peter. He has spent good amount of time with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 21, he is back to his own business. He's not about the father's business anymore. And when Jesus confronts him, he then also shifts his focus and tries to redirect Jesus into other things by saying, what about this man, John? trying to get into his life and into his business, when Jesus says to Peter, you leave John to me, you follow me. How hard that is. In statement, not at all. Now comes the great surprise of the book back in Jonah. And the great surprise of the book happens this way. As you look at, as you compare chapter, chapter 1 verse 2 and compare chapter 1 verse 3, you see there, God says to Jonah, arise, then you read in verse 3, but Jonah rose up and you salute him. Great Jonah, you are doing what God has told you to do, only to read the next part and say, oh no. He rises up to flee. Shocking, surprising twist. Why is this prophet doing this? And so here we see that God's directives are intently defied. Are they? Voting with his feet, Jonah hotfoots it to Joppa to catch a ship to Tarshish, the ends of the earth. Tarshish was probably a city, a port city near present-day Barcelona, Spain. Did you know a voyage from Joppa to Tarshish took approximately one year? Now, why is this information helpful? Now, I know today you can go by plane in a few hours. But why is this information helpful? If you look at the text and see what has happened to the prophet, this is something important. Look at the text in verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee from where? The presence of the Lord. You read, skip the middle part of the verse, then go down to the end part of the verse. What do you, how does that verse end? From the presence of the Lord. It's as if there's an inclusio there just in that one verse. To, to drive the point to help us readers understand what's going on with this prophet. And you know what is going on with this prophet? He wants to get away from God as far as he can. Even though his whole approach is sneaky, it's um, the way he acts is, uh, you know, hurried. But what we need to understand also here, the object that is abundant. You know, when we read, when we read Psalms, what is usually the psalmist cry? You are my hiding place. Lord, you are my 
refuge. And this is the very thing. He's throwing it away. Is there any true protection outside of God? Is there any true life outside of God? Is there anything fulfilling, satisfying out of God? Is the very thing this particular choice prophet of God is throwing it away. And when we say the voyage took an year, the point the writer is trying to bring to us that Jonah has decided to go as far as it is humanly possible for him to go. And yet the psalmist will say to you, to Jonah, the psalmist will say in Psalm 139, where can you, Jonah, flee from the presence of the Lord? For Jonah, then you say, what? why Jonah? What's going on? For Jonah, what God requires is a distasteful duty. He makes up his mind that whatever it might cost, he would not obey. And ordered to Nineveh, he sets out to Tarshish. There are only two cities on his map, and only two. There was Nineveh, God's choice. There was Tarshish, the rebel's choice. Recognize something here. There are just two cities on your map. The Nineveh of obedience or the, and the Tashish of disobedience. I do not claim to know where your Nineveh is. It may be a distant city. It may be a city across the seas. It may be a city as near to you as the home in which you live. On the other hand, you may go to Tashish. Tashish is the city of have your own way. Tashish is the city of do as you please. Tashish is the city of take it easy. It is the city with no garden called Gethsemane, without its gates and no rugged hills called Calvary that overlooks its walls. It is a city without a cross, and yet it is a city where people seldom sing and often sob. It is a city where nobody looks joyously into God's face and calls him Father. This is a serious matter. Yet we realize that the Bible tells us that by default, no one seeks after God. And that we find in Romans chapter 3. We don't begin to seek God until He has first converted our hearts. God is the lifelong pursuit of the believer. Because we are not, because by nature we are not seekers of God, we are fugitives of God. Ever since Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve fled from the presence of God, you recall that in the paradise when God used to come in the cool of the evening and what sweet fellowship they enjoyed till they sinned. And when they had sinned, what was the first reaction to that sin? It was flight, hiding from God, running away. They became fugitives in the face of God. How many times in, in your life, in my life, we had a vocation, a sense of God calling you to do something, calling me to do something, but we ignored it, but we neglected it, we avoided it, we put it off, 
or even we found a substitute to avoid it. Isn't that common? Don't we struggle? Brothers and sisters, understand that the propensity to flee from God does not end in our conversion. Jonah's problem was not with what he had sound theology. He had substantial theological knowledge. If you just scroll down to verse 9, you will find that in verse 9, when he is conversing with the sailors, he says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God. That's not a that's one of the best things someone can ever say. I fear the Lord. Good theology. Proverbs will tell us for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it doesn't even end, it doesn't only end there. He goes on to say, who made the sea and the dry land. So many today deny the creatorship of God. And here, Jonah goes right back to Genesis chapter 1 and, I say, and he says, I know who is the creator. So there's nothing wrong with, or there's no lack of good theology. What is wrong, the problem is that that theology had not sufficiently penetrated his heart. And his way of life. And that is something. So Jonah acted against what he knew. So Jonah is described here as an anti-prophet. The only prophet to run away even before delivering his message. we don't really get to the reason behind it until we read chapter 4, verse 2. And I would like to read that to you from verse 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and, and in prayer, of course, you know a person's heart. In my country, therefore in order to forestall this, I fled to Tashish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah was upset with God for not getting even with the Assyrians. Note the irony here. If you look at chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 5, we find a very helpful information there. And the helpful information is that Jonah takes five energetic actions, all calculated and those five energetic actions are rises up to the fair and what it tells about going down with them to Tarshish we will see in verse 5 last part of verse 5 but Jonah had gone below into the hold of five 
energetic actions and according to the story how far does he run with that no he doesn't run far at all his mission comes to an end very quickly why because defying god has serious consequences cause god confronts needless resignation jonah is a prophet he needs to live up to that and for him to just resign and take off god will deal with that and so the irony here is jonah fleeing from the lord achieves nothing i mean that's a, that's quite an effort over here of the things that he does he also spends money non refundable it's all waste his whole trip comes to a quick end he's caught by god why because god confronts needless resignation what we also find very interesting here in verse 4 with the five energetic actions of jonah god deals with that with just one energetic action and that one energetic action of god is found in verse 4 the lord heard a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea and the ship was about to break up so god responds with one single action it's very interesting the way that this is written out the author emphasizes divine origin of where this storm is coming from of course we know the sailors also pick it up because we read in the account they are they are so desperate about this situation that they are crying out to gods small g gods that means they recognize this is not normal storm there is some divine thing here but that's that's still in the context but there's a grammar here that really helps us and and the way the the hebrew is placed often uh, the lord is placed here at the very start of the sentence which reverses the more usual hebrew word order of verb and then subject the whole language here before us is very evocative in verse 4 when it says the lord heard a great wind not just any kind of wind a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm not just any kind of storm on the sea so the ship was about to break up that language is so evocative that the author speaks of the ship as it were a person struggling with the storm moaning and groaning breathing heavily and finally giving up rather than continuing to fight against the wind and waves but what is interesting for us is to see that the nature obeys god on its one core and god's own choice prophet does not 
the powers of nature and even the ship cooperate with God in order to end the prophet's vain effort to escape from the presence of the Lord. God is in control of things. All kinds of storms come. I mean, this is pretty straightforward where this is coming from. Sometimes God directly is part of the storm, sometimes indirectly. We are hit by storms of life too. When we choose to disobey Him, do learn from this passage, expect bad consequences. From the moment Jonah went his own way, things started to go wrong. And yet with all of these things, I would like to finish off by saying that with all this divine prophet has done, there is a God in heaven whose heart, whose love, whose mercy, whose compassion none of us will ever be able to fathom. Because if this people group, Ninevites, were such evil people who deserved hell, how big is the heart of this God to say, I'm going to forgive them and save them. Now you also think about it, the prophet supposed to jump on his feet for this opportunity. You know, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Would you mind this morning, I know the building is small, would you mind to have 120,000 people appear here so that the worship team can lead them and they can join us in chorus? Is that a bad thing? More praise going up to heaven? This prophet doesn't get that. And this story is to reflect what sort of limitations we carry. And, and sometimes we have incomplete knowledge about people groups and we draw conclusions. All kinds of implications can come from it, but my focus here is that think of the great heart of this God cause while God comes to this prophet to say, I want you to go to this Gentile world because I, my grace is for them also. And yet, with these first six verses, we see that there is only one Israelite in this book. And this Israelite, Jonah, is a special prophet of, in God's eyes. And yet, when he is doing what he is doing, God doesn't let him go. The God who will not let go is what verses 5 and 6 is about God's relentlessly pursuing a fugitive. This fugitive is a sleepy prophet. And yet we see, though he has forgotten God, God has not forgotten him. He takes a pagan sailor, sailor down into the ship to wake him up. And yet, my dear friends, the, the, the story still shows some shocks and surprises. Here are heathens praying, and the man who's supposed to teach on prayer, the man who can explain all the aspects of prayer, still remains silent. Still 
does not pray. Verses 6 to uh, 15 actually changes focuses from Jonah to the sailors. And how interesting this story is that if you look at verse 5, then the sailors became what? Afraid. Fear has gripped them. It's very interesting how the story ends. Look at verse 16. Then the man feared the Lord greatly. That is so neat. That the sailors progress in this story from fearing the storm to fearing the Lord. You know, when God is on the move, you and I have no idea what things he has in mind. As you look at the story, you might think, oh, there's one prophet and 120 Ninevites. And as Jonah goes on this journey in mercy only to uh, see the mercy of God and sees what a great God this is. So as I said earlier on, would you mind bringing 120,000 uh, folks in here, repenting from their sins and wanting to join the family of God as God is calling them, would you also mind a, a group of sailors also adding to that number? And all these things are happening. You see, God's directive for everyone is to live and thrive. He's a gracious God, merciful God. The story here before us is, uh, as I started the sermon saying, it's not just a children's story of Jonah in the whale's belly. There's a lot of wonderful truths weaved here about man, about even how sometimes God's choice people and prophet go astray. Many down the pages of scripture you'll find like that. Abraham calling his wife sister. Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, decides to strike the rock, defying God's command to speak to the rock. What Noah does, what David does. And, and sometimes these things just gets people. Jonah, for Jonah, he was self-absorbed and he lost great sight of God. The weakness of the present-day Christianity is often on this one fact. People have come to think that Christ requires us to give up nothing when we become his and take up nothing. On the contrary, Christ requires us to give up everything that can possibly militate against absolute obedience to his will and take up the cross his cross, the cross on which self is to be crucified. I love Galatians 2.20. I think it's changed my whole life and course of my life as a teenager. Where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life which now I live, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and died for me. You know, I, I come from a ministry where our ministry runs Faith is faith-based. We, we get students whom we train 
and we don't charge them anything. We give them free room and board. We give them free education. We have been doing that at College of Theology and Evangelism Fiji for 49 years. How is it to operate when you don't know next month's budget? We have done that. And you know why we've been successful? Because the God who is high above in heaven is more than able to accomplish what concerns us today. Is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I remember we never had an emergency board meeting to say we have to close the school for a few weeks because funds have not come. So we trust the Lord, whatever donations come, and it has kept coming. It's kind of operating on the George Mueller principle, if some, would, some of you know the story, how he did things. God expects that kind of faith in him, trust in him. Not logic, not other things coming in as, as with Jonah. Jonah was fighting with God instead of simply obeying him and honoring him. May, may the Lord help us all that we who trust him, I don't know in the storm in which you may be today. I wonder if that storm is God's way of gripping your attention. I don't know. Could be. Trust him. Love him. Persist in faithful service to him. See, you see, the love of God is wider than the measure of man's mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kindly. And it is this God that we serve, we worship, we praise. He is Worthy of our highest praises. He is worthy of our utmost faith in him. He is a God like no other. And that's why the sailors were failing. Because their small gods could do nothing about that storm. And yet when the God that we worship came into the picture. The storm was calm. May the Lord help us to resolve in our heart today not to choose our interest over God's. But may we resolve to choose God's interest over ours so that we can become a model missionary. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we can read in your word. In whatever way you have chosen to speak to us or inform us with your knowledge. May today we grow in the grace and knowledge of our wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.